this morning, the message title is Moral Erosion in America. There's two things that brought me to this sermon. There was someone from here that made a comment recently about how that at times it's, it's easy to be influenced by the world around us and how we think about things like morality. We know what the Bible says, and those of us who have been in church for years have most of us have heard the Bible taught as it, as it relates to things it says about morals, about morality, its sexuality, and all those things. But as we rub shoulders, like we say, with people around us, and we, we see their way of doing these things, their disdain for God's laws, and, and you know, that they just live how they want to, and they seem to get by with it, over time we can become calloused to the actual truth of what God says about these things. So that's one of the things that got me thinking. Someone made that comment. They didn't say quite that much about it, but that was the idea. And then there was, I've been preparing in recent weeks especially, uh, doing studying for um, teaching at Calvary Bible School again this winter, and I, I hope that most of you know that by now. I sometimes forget to tell you when we're going and when we aren't, but we do plan to go again this winter, my wife and I and Emily and Brian, the, uh, about the 19th of January, we'll be leaving and be gone for three weeks. But anyway, in, in that time there, one of the two classes I will be teaching is called Mighty Men of God. And it's going to be a class for only the fellows that are there, only the young men. And um, so studying for that, I was, I was looking for things to read and think about to help me, you know, kind of get some outlines together. And, and someone who had previously taught that class, um, after I asked them how they went about it, they mentioned a book, this book called Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. Don't know anything about him, but um, the book is is well written, and I've only read part of it. But there were some things in there, especially in the one chapter where he 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 addresses our mind and the things we put into our minds, and he talks about how important that is. And it um, it was just deeply challenging to me because as I was reading, I realized that I had not been protecting my mind as I should have been, and that probably many of God's people are no longer protecting their minds as they should. The, 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 the second part of this thing of our mind, first of all, we, we need to keep the garbage out, but then we also need to put good things in. So I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm not going to be addressing that so much this morning, so if you feel that's missing in this sermon, um, it's just because that's not the main emphasis, but I'm aware of that. We, we, don't just take the, we don't just keep the garbage out or take the garbage out of our minds, but we, we put good things in. We, try to, we should be filling our minds with good things to think about. <clears throat> um, and I think it's, it's an area where God's people have fallen far far short in the last number of decades. Um, always been a challenge, but with, with the invention of radio and TV and internet over the last number of decades, we have more things that are being pumped directly into our minds from the world than what, than what planet Earth had 100 years ago or 150 years ago. So, as I was studying for this, I thought about a sermon that Chris preached here, probably in the late 90s, I don't remember, 15 to 20 years ago, Chris preached a message titled, Slouching Towards Gomorrah. Anyone remember that, that um, message? Okay, a few of you. And uh, he, he, 
I think his message title was that, and it was, it was after he read a book by that name. And the, the book was written by the late Robert Bork, who was a judge um, here in the U.S. and was nominated to the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. He never made it. He was never confirmed. But I, I remember that. I was a young man at that time, and I still remember that. Um, there's proceedings just reading about them in the newspaper. And then later, Chris preached this message after he was challenged by this book. <clears throat> and uh, I, I thought of that book. The, t the title itself, I think, probably says a lot about what it contains. I've never actually read it. Um, never got my hands on it. I don't, I don't think I did anyway. But it feels like our nation... Now, th this message may be very negative, and I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to preach what God gave to me, okay? This morning, I'm not going to make any apologies. Um, that's not my intention to sound negative, but I'm just going to talk about how things are, okay? So, um, it, it feels like we're, not only our nation, our nation is quickly moving away from God and, and, and toward a, um, just very immoral, as we well know. But the problem is that's coming to the church, and we'll talk more about that. I should make sure I don't get ahead of myself here too far. But in the 27 years since Robert Bork wrote the book, that was in 1996. I can't believe it was that long ago already. Time is flying. <laughs> he wrote the book in 1996. In those 27 years since, our culture here in America, in USA, has picked up speed on this decline drastically. At least that's how it feels to me. And I can think of certain times, even during certain presidential, um, uh, what was, how was I going to say that, <laughs> terms, uh, certain presidents that served where, where you could feel that decline's picking up speed. And, you know, while there's, we, and in case you didn't know, I think we do, but sometimes we do forget we can get too fixated on the negative and forget that we, we have a lot of really good things going on here in America, yet we actually have a lot of freedoms yet that very little of the world enjoys. In certain areas, we're much more free yet than they are in other parts of the world. But what's interesting is in spite of that, maybe because of that, I don't know, the moral decay here in America is ahead of the rest of the world. And one thing that I think is just kind of an indicator of that, this is not a direct moral thing possibly, depending how you look at it, but I read, and I couldn't find it later, but I read this recently, uh, that if I'm remembering correctly, in the U.S., absentee homes are above 50% now. Well, fathers absent in a home is, is, is now north of 50%. Average across the rest of the world is 10%. So if we think we have something to be proud of in the USA, we better think again. Now, I, I'm not knocking our country. I'm not uh, trying to badmouth our country. I appreciate what I have here. I love living in the USA. I really do. But morally, we are far worse than the rest of the world, in many respects at least. That fascinates me. <clears throat> So the question comes, and this is the question that we're addressing this morning. This is the real question of the message. As a believer, most of us here are, we would call ourselves Christians. We would say we believe the Bible. We believe in God. We would say we're born again. Um, we're saved, all those things. As a Christian, is your moral compass based on the Bible or the opinion of our culture? I think, I'm not going to make this too dogmatic, but I think it would be fair to say that not one of us has been unaffected by our culture's way of thinking about morality. Even though we would like to think we believe exactly what the Bible does, many, if not all of us, have, have a little bit of a watered-down version of that 
as far as what we really would die for. We're not quite sure if everything the Bible says really quite means what it says as it concerns morality. And I think there's some strong indicators that what I'm saying is true um, across Christendom in America today. In, in the book, one of the things that really um, kind of startled me in the book here, the chapter about the mind, he says that what Christians are watching on TV is nearly the same as the world. And the one reason, the one piece of evidence for that is, is uh, he gives a story. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm not going to read the story, but there are some things I'm going to read here from this book. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I'm going to read, read some other parts first, and then I'll talk about this story he gives and, and what this indicates. Uh, bear with me a bit. I'm going to read, just pick a few paragraphs from a number of pages here. It'll be several minutes. This is, this is the, the emphasis of this is how the things you see and do and all that affect your mind. The pro programming of your mind that you either allow or intentionally you know, have happen. The human brain does not miss a thing. It is capable of giving and receiving the subtlest input from imagining a universe in which time bends to creating the polyphonic texture of a Bach feud to receiving and transmitting a message from God himself, feats no computer will ever accomplish. <laughs> I consider myself a pretty good reader, but some of these words get me. I don't hear them very often. Uh, <laughs> so, the dizzying potential of the human mind reaches its apex in the possibility of possessing the mind of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a possibility Paul affirmed when he said, but we have the mind of Christ. The point he's making here is computers and all that are great, but only a human mind can, can actually think about God and, and ask God to uh, live in his, his heart and so forth. A mind that is constantly renewed, no computer will ever be able to think God's thoughts, and no device will ever be able to know the heart of God or do his works. But the mystery that resides between our ears has the capacity. Indeed, it was created for this, to have the mind of Christ. The cosmic potential of the believer's mind introduces the great scandal of today's church. Christians without Christian minds. That one hit me hard when I read that, and there was more that fits with that. Saved people who don't think like God does. That's what we've got. That is, Christians who do not think Christianly. A tragic fact that is far more true of professing Christian men than of women, as we shall see. The bottom line is that this grievous scandal comes from the declining willingness to properly program the amazing instruments God has given us. You see, we can affect the programming that comes in this mind. We can block things, and we can intentionally bring things into our mind. We have that ability. So we're able to program our minds how we want, how we want them programmed. Christians leave the billions of brain cells unguarded and undisciplined. The Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance, says Proverbs, for from it flow the springs of life. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Several verses from the Bible. The scripture tells us rightly that input determines output. You will never get out of yourself what hasn't come in. And you will get out of yourself what has come in. And so maybe it's one of the reasons why sometimes we're surprised by what comes out of our mouths. Because we haven't realized what's been coming in. I have a great sympathy for those whose past has, had a, has been a series of bad choices. I understand that if over the years 
One has chosen the impure, the illusory, the negative. It is very difficult to change. But as a biblical thinker, I give no quarter to myself or anyone else who, has, who rationalizes his present choices by the past. As Christians, we are free to have a Christian mind. It is within our reach, and developing it is our duty. So we must lay down our fund, as fundamental to our Christianity this truth. A Christian mind demands conscious negation. That means keeping things out. A Christian mind is impossible without the discipline of refusal. Again, what we bring in is important as well. But we do have a duty to keep things out. And I don't think we're doing too well at this as God's people. Charles Coulson tells of sitting at dinner with the president of one of the three major television networks. Coulson felt he had a tremendous opportunity to influence the man, so he told him how millions of Christians were offended by the network's programming. And so um, just, just briefly kind of sharing what happened in this story here, I'm not going to read it all, but he, he was sitting down with one of the men who operates one of the major television networks and basically saying, why don't you put more good stuff on TV? If you did, the Christians would watch it. And so this television executive said, well, we just had one, a Christian movie that we put out for you all, and it didn't do very well. Ended up being a money loser. They're not all. There are some that are put out that have a Christian bent that do well, but uh, in this particular case, it didn't. So he says, so my companion concluded, where are your 50 million born-again Christians, Mr. Coulson? Good question. Where are they? If half of Gallup's 50 million born-again Christians, this was talking about a study that, that, that Gallup did, if half of Gallup's 50 million born-again Christians had watched the show, it would have topped the ratings. But the disturbing truth, as studies by the secular networks, as well as Christian Broadcasting Network show, is that the viewing habits of Christians are no different than those of non-Christians. We'd like to pretend they are. If you choose a local church, you would go in and start asking the people what they watch. They would try to paint it as good as possible. But the networks are telling us a different story. The truth is the Christian community is filling its mind with the same content as the world around, but at an even faster rate. According to a Barna Group survey, those who had, have attended church in the last week watch an average of 30 minutes more TV per day than those who claim to be atheistic. Now that I don't understand. Maybe that was a, just a glitch in the poll. But that's what it claims. The same study found that Christians and non-Christians watch essentially the same shows. So as to television's effects, they are infamous. There's three things. Shortened attention spans. Diminution, <laughs> that's a tough word, of linguistic powers. What, in other words, your, your ability to handle words and all that is diminished. And reduced capacity for abstraction, or I think what that's saying is like being able to think through abstract things. In other words, what it's saying, and this is just talking about television right here in this section, just the TV effects alone have shortened our attention spans, they've made us much worse with words, and they made us more stupid in our thinking. That was before the internet came along. To attract and hold its audience, the entertain entertainment industry understands that parading the taboos of culture, adultery, 
promiscuity, homosexuality, incest, violence, and sadism will do the job. That's what holds people's attention. As a result, depictions of the lowest of activities have become commonplace and even morally cachet. So much for television, but there is much more. In our digital world, media consumption is the true metric. The average American consumes over 10 and a half hours of media per day. I don't know when these people are working. This includes five hours of TV, live and recorded, two hours of radio, and three hours of internet and mobile device usage. We live in a cyber haze from the moment our eyes open in the morning until they close again at night. We have not been unaffected by that statement or that fact. Some of us have been living in a cyber haze. There was a time when many thought social media to be a fad because it was the domain of the young. Now, after a decade, nearly 70% of American adults, adults are on Facebook. I'm not sure exactly how old that statistic is, but uh, at any rate, there's still many, many millions of people on Facebook and being completely consumed by that thing, and it's affecting the young and the very old alike. There's no age, there's no generation gap when it comes to social media addiction. I've seen it in every age group there is. It's stunning. I'm not suggesting a new legalism that forbids the digital media. There are many worthwhile things in view. Moreover, while Christianity is by nature countercultural, it is not anti-cultural. But I am calling for Christian men to take control of their minds. This book is written to men specifically, by the way, as the title indicates. But I am what comes in and what goes out. If you cannot control what you watch and read, perhaps it needs to go. If your right eye calls you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. He says this, my wife and I chose to raise our children without a television for this very reason, and we have no regrets. What we did is not for everyone, but it may be for you. And that's great, and that's what we do. But now we have the Internet. So in this bombardment by media today, what are we hearing? What are the messages we are getting that are not from this book? Some subtle and some not so subtle. I'd like to hear, hear you throw a bunch of these out. What, what, what messages are we getting? What are you hearing? What are we hearing from this media bombardment on our minds? Yes. What is often called the nuclear family is being absolutely trashed by a huge part of the media industry. Not only are men often mocked, they're the butt of many jokes. But these days, they're actually saying there's a much better way of doing it than having a man and a wife in the home. In fact, they're kind of saying, we don't even really need men. In fact, we certainly don't need the characteristics of men, their strength and their masculinity. That is blatantly being taught. It is absolutely anti-God and anti-Bible. And we're being affected drastically. I... I we still believe we're practicing the Bible. We still have a, a man and a wife in the home, okay? But we are being bombarded by those messages. And in some subtle way, it's going to impact us over time. And if you look at mainstream Christianity in America, it has drastically impacted us. What are some more? That was just one. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's 
their value is based upon their attractiveness mm -hmm. and their sexual promiscuity. Correct. That's really what's being pushed on to mm -hmm. them, as opposed to their chastity and, and their, you know, their personalities and things that make them that is again being just pumped with fury at us especially by the whole movie industry and Hollywood and of course various ways on our devices and all that and, and other places not just Hollywood these days be yourself do what feels, you know, what feels good just be yourself Ern said the, the, the thing, the, the, the thrust of, of just be you. Just whatever you want to do is fine. Be yourself, please yourself, serve yourself. And the only way a person can, can, can have that theory, that theology, is if they believe that there's no real purpose for us here on earth. When we know that we were put here to bless others and to glorify God, it gives us a purpose and we no longer believe that. You all know, it's not it's no surprise to this group, that when we serve other people, we are most fulfilled. When we can tell that something we are doing is changing someone else's life, that thrills us. It brings tremendous satisfaction. That's just the opposite of what Vern was talking about. The world is saying, forget all that. It doesn't even matter. Just please yourself. And you're not going to tell me what I can do to please myself, by the way. I can do it how I want it. When I want it. What else? What else are we being bombarded with? I think for us as a group, one of the things that I would, I would say is, is to be very aware of the 10% on truth that's in some of the books and podcasts and things that we can read. That, that is, I think, something we need to be aware of. So this would be a little bit more subtle than what we've been talking about. In, in some of the, the things we're hearing, even, even though it may be generally good, there can be a 10% or whatever it might be that is, is not what the Bible says that can lead us down a wrong path. Uh, small things matter, by the way. Little things do matter. Be careful with who you allow yourself to be influenced by, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes. Um, I would have to say a huge one uh, that really is geared toward affecting the minds of children is the blurring of the lines of gender. Uh, the reprobate minds have created this term of gender fluidity where the natural order that God established and the wonderful attributes he gave male and female are being obliterated, which, which uh, really produces all types of other problems when uh, one considers the natural order that God had established regarding uh, sexual activity and the sacredness of that in the marriage, that, right? And so that is so under attack where these young children don't even know who they are and they start polluting them literally in preschool with some of these very subtle, as you said, ideas that change their way of thinking and approaching who they are as a, a you know, male or female. Right. While you bring that up, I want to say, I want to make it very clear, that what God has created, the way that he has created humans as sexual beings is very, very good. There's nothing wrong with what God made. Nothing at all. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, it can be, in marriage, the most beautiful thing on earth, but the devil from day one, back after Adam and Eve fell, immediately the next generations were, were, were just headed down a path of, of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Distorting this thing that God created as a beautiful thing. In fact, everything God has made as beautiful, the devil tries to, to turn it around and, and use it as a bad thing. And so after a while, we begin to think that the thing God created is bad itself, but it's not. So it's, it seems to me, maybe you disagree, but 
It, it, it seems to me that these days, many Christians spend more time fighting against truth than fighting for it. I have heard so many believers arguing about things that, that they should not be defending, de defending behavior and things that they have no business defending as God's people. And I don't understand it, except that over time, as we're bombarded with these messages, we can begin to believe them. The church these days in America has its own version of right and wrong about morality. They have decided what they think the lines are. Never mind the Bible. <clears throat> and when you look past what is actually being said, again, it's not much different in the world. And there's, again, this book mentions some things that are evidence of that. The church being the same as the world is not okay. What, what are we thinking when we are no different? When the numbers, in many cases, the statistics are the same. What is happening? All of you know a lot of Christians all over the place, or a number of them at least, and they're not all saying the right thing. Some of them are your friends or your relatives or just acquaintances. And so to keep the peace, we become silent. Are we somehow afraid that by defending truth, we're going to become a Pharisee? It seems like we're all just terrified that if we stand right on truth, just clearly defend truth, that someone's going to call us a Pharisee or... God forbid, well, no, I'm not going to say that. We have all kinds of reactions is the point that I want to make. Many of us have something we are reacting to from our past. There's something that we're not that our ancestors were, and God forbid we would seem to be like them. What are we afraid of? And oftentimes the thing I notice is we, we, we slowly erode the truth by, by saying, well, it's okay to do that. You can't tell me that doing this thing here is wrong. That may be true. But things lead to other things, things we do. And especially in the whole media, entertainment, sports industry, all of those, they are, they're, they're marketing their stuff. And so it's got to get more and more exciting. And it feeds the flesh. And so when we start with something small, we want more. Because after a while, that was boring. Let's, let's do something a little bit more exciting. And so I was just mentioning this to someone in the last day or two. I should have an illustration here, like in a chalkboard or something, but you know what trajectory is? It's kind of like the, like the angle you're traveling or the direction you're traveling or the, let, let, let's just say it like this for lack of a better way. So I'm right here. I could choose to go a little bit off course or just do something, go this way just a little bit. Just, just change direction slightly. Right here, as I head out, I'm pretty close to where I would be if I hadn't changed angle, changed course. A ship would be the same way, or an airplane. The ships and planes both have to, they have to chart a course and carefully follow directions, not, not directions like we have here on the, on the ground, but they have to follow a compass and make corrections. Sometimes a plane has to fly partially sideways to arrive at the correct destination because of the wind. If it would just simply fly straight, it's being pushed by the wind while it flies. Instead of landing in Chicago, it may land in Texas because just a slight change of angle you end up at a vastly different place. And that's why little things matter. Little things do matter. 
We must protect our minds. This is from the book. We must protect our minds. We must refuse to allow our culture's media to write our program. Your brain is like a computer in many ways. It's far superior. I'm not going to, please, don't ever think it's not. It's much, God created much better than man does, but it has similar, similar ways of operating in the sense that what goes in comes out. We must say no to the wastelands that invade our homes. And I know we struggle these days to know just exactly what that should mean. Romans 12. What am I going to read? From Romans 12. Tell me what I'm going to read from Romans 12. Our minds need to be transformed. Yeah, first two verses. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world. Don't be shaped by the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> the Benham brothers in another book, a book they wrote called Living Among Lions, they say this, the world wants us to conform, but God wants us to transform so we can make a difference in the world. So this, this uh, prefix con and trans are interesting. Sorry about the trans thing. I know you're tired of hearing that, but it's a legitimate part of a word, so um, I'm not talking about the usual term, uh, um, use these days. The prefix con means like conform. Con means be together to agree, to be formed by. The prefix trans means across, beyond, or the other side of. So transform, really, what a transform means is make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. So, yeah, I'm going to dramatize this here, in a sense, maybe. But it says we are to be transformed, not conformed. If you're transformed by God, you are a completely different person, especially in your head, than if you are conformed to the world. And what I said earlier, remember what I said earlier? We have a lot of Christians today who are born again whose minds are conformed to the world. They think like the world does. They're saved, but they, their thinking is terrible. And I haven't even gone in, into all the porn statistics and all that it's it's off the charts these days everywhere in every church denomination on the planet that i'm aware of oh, okay i should say in america at least i don't don't know about other countries but here in america the statistics are not that great anywhere in any group because we are so bombarded by the world. <clears throat> There's two phrases. Now this is, you might not completely understand this unless you're Mennonite or Amish or something, but um, there's two phrases in our church standards, we call them. It's like our church agreement. We, we have something written up about what we believe about the Bible, and then we have some practical ways that we should live. And there's two things I'm going to read from that. And this was put into this many decades ago. Because the radio and TV are effectively used to disrupt family life and personal character and to promote evil and end-time deception. 
they're not permitted. Historically, conservative Mennonite groups have not allowed TV and radio. There are some that do allow TV or radio these days. And well, anyway, Mennonite can mean just about as much as Baptist does these days. It's all over the place. Um, but um, many, many uh, Mennonite groups in the past have had something similar that they agree to in their churches. We haven't done that just because, well, let's just be different than the world. It says because it will program our minds to think like them. There's one other part. It says indiscriminate, or in other words, not using judgment, about attendance at the world's places of entertainment and amusement, which war against the soul shall be avoided because they tend to condition us to accept the world's language, its values, and its practices. I don't very often read from our church standards across the pulpit. But that there is what the Bible is talking about. We're to be careful where we go. We're to be careful what we see. We're to be careful what we hear because it changes our minds. And eventually, if our mind is conformed, the things we do will follow. If we think like the world, we will eventually act like the world. In the past, avoiding TV and radio was an easy solution. We could basically keep the junk out of our homes. Not quite so easy these days because there's internet. And that's been a little more difficult because internet is such a tool. It's the way we do everything these days. <clears throat> but internet also is bombarding us with the values of the world. And that's even if we're making good choices about what we look at on the internet. You can avoid the garbage, just look at, watch good stuff, but there's still the advertisements. There's still the subtle messages of sensuality and anti-God. It's just everywhere. And I've just, I don't know, I've just noticed that much more in recent months. <clears throat> Try to wrap this up. I'm going to go to Exodus 20 now. Are the Ten Commandments meant for us today? This is Old Testament, right? Now, some people believe that the Old Testament is just out. We just kind of read the New because some believe both are equally important. I believe that the New Testament supersedes the Old, but that the principles we live by in both Old and New are actually the same. It's just that the one was before Jesus came. He did change some things. Um, I'm going to read through this. I think it's worthwhile. We already read it, but I'm going to again. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath, or is that in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That one's invaded the church. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Oh, but this is Sunday today. This is not the Sabbath. Why are we here? We don't have time to go into that, really. But God was very adamant that the children of Israel keep the Sabbath. In fact, it was one of the most important things to him. And when they failed to do it for several generations, God's wrath came upon them. After Jesus came and rose again on Sunday, there was a switch. There was the Christians, some of them worshipped on both days for a while. Went to the synagogue on Saturday and Sunday they met for church. This was in the New Testament times or following that time. But eventually it, we, we, we do it in honor of Jesus' death and resurrection. And either way, I see no reason to believe that the rest principle has been laid aside by God. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see, and all that in them is, and rest the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ox, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And I believe that in the New Testament, in some form, every one of these is still in effect. Any society who refuses to follow the principles of the Ten Commandments will collapse with time. If they refuse to heed the principles that are there. Our calling is to take that message to the world that God's principles matter. It makes a difference. One more verse, 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And there is truly a war for every one of our souls going on, and it starts in the mind. <clears throat> Again, from the Living Among Lions book, by the Benham brothers, it says this, God's boundary lines are in place for our protection. The enemy tells us these are unnecessary restrictions keeping us from having fun when they are necessary restraints keeping us from being harmed. If we as God's people don't guard against the stuff that's being pumped in from the world to some degree of effectiveness and begin to fill our minds with God's truth and who he is, it will render us ineffective. And I believe many people who name Jesus' name are ineffective. And I believe that these things have affected us sometimes much more than we would like to admit. Let's fill our minds with truth. That'll drive out the garbage. Let's kneel for prayer. God, as we read your word throughout its pages, we see a call for your people to live a life of 
holiness and being set apart from the filth of the world. As we consider the landscape of Christianity in this nation, it grieves us when we see how many have lived lives that bring shame on your name in so many ways. God, many of us have become convinced that some trash doesn't matter. It's okay. And I just pray you would help us as your people in these times we're living in to take seriously the truth of your word, to guard our minds, to confess and repent of any trash that may be in our minds, and to begin to actively fill them with the truth of your word, the good things that we're to think about, as it says in Philippians 4, all the many good things the truth that we should fill our minds with. We so much need your guidance, your wisdom. We do need the Holy Spirit to direct us in these treacherous times. Help us as a church here to help each other in these ways, to continue to, to encourage and admonish and, and uh, just help each other along. Uh, the pathway of life and the challenges that we face. Thank you that according to the last book of the Bible, you will triumph and so will your church. So grateful for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.